Well, tonight I was uh, thinking, Bank Holiday Monday, you'd all be out somewhere enjoying yourselves. <laughs> oh, such confidence. As uh, Phil said this morning, uh, today, for those who don't know these kind of things, is Trinity Sunday. So I thought we'd delve into the Old Testament and uh, look at the passage that we uh, often read on, uh, on Trinity Sunday. So uh, I was at a meeting uh, not long ago who, where they said, that if you've got your Bibles with you, switch them on. <laughs> but if you've got a paper version, you might want to turn to Isaiah one of the prophets in the Old Testament, if you go to the, sort of to the middle after Psalms, you get to, uh, after the Psalms and the Song of Psalms, you get to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord... Seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a long coal, a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Father God, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would bless it to us now. We pray, Lord, that through your spirit you might speak into our hearts, into our lives, into our world of the holiness of God. In his name we pray. Amen. So today, as I said, is uh, Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday is the day when... uh, we consider the amazing, incredible, wonderful, indefinable God whom we worship. And I say indefinable, but uh, just because it's indefinable doesn't mean we don't try. And I've heard all kinds of uh, ideas about how we can define the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was talking uh, last week to Joy, and we were eating a Jaffa cake, and she said, you know that the Jaffa cake can represent the Trinity. I've not heard that one before. Apparently the cake is the Father, the jam in the middle is the Son, and the chocolate covering the top is the Holy Spirit. 
wonderful. I prefer to eat them myself, but there we go. But there's all sorts of, as I say, we've tried uh, down the centuries all sorts of um, ways of trying to explain how can God be so amazing? How can God be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How could God be in heaven yet be here? How could God be so amazing? My favorite uh, explanation is the Athanasian Creed. It goes back to the 6th century, the Athanasian Creed, which starts, starts, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence, for there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Ghost uncreated. And it goes on. So if you want, you want your explanation of the Trinity, that's where you go. The Athanasian Creed, you can Google it. That's sorted. But I think ultimately we have to realize that we can't explain God. We have to meet him. We have to meet him in his wonder and his holiness. And that's why I want you to turn to this passage from Isaiah, where we have Isaiah doing exactly that. Meeting God in his majesty, his wonder, his glory, his holiness. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11 says that God is majestic in holiness, awesome in glory. And that certainly resonates here with Isaiah's experience as he goes into the temple and he says, I saw the Lord. Now we might want to just take a step back and uh, just get a little bit of background. Isaiah is perhaps the most well-known of all the Old Testament prophets. Certainly uh, it's the biggest of the prophetic books. We know that he lived and prophesied in Jerusalem sometime around the 8th century in in Judah. And he seems to have been quite well known, quite powerful. He had access to kings and as well as speaking to the people. He prophesied to the kings. He prophesied during the reign of four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, over the period of about 60 years. Years which were filled with some good times but also sometimes of some major national crisis. This is clearly at the beginning of his prophetic uh, witness. And we we understand that King Uzziah had reigned for some time. We think just a little over 50 years. During the early part of his reign, he'd been uh, one of the better kings. Um, If you read the, uh, the Old Testament history, read Chronicles and Kings, it's, it's like good king, bad king, good king, bad king. Um, and Uzziah certainly started off as, as one of the better ones. It was a time of prosperity and he was able to bring some military success to the nation. And he turned Jerusalem into a fortified city, well equipped for its own defense. And so it gave people a great sense of security. But the story of Uzziah ends in a sad note. When he started out strong... We're told in 2 Chronicles 26, 16 that after Uzziah became powerful, 
His pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now that may not seem a terrible crime, but it was because he was arrogantly claiming something for himself, rights that God had only given to the priests. And so we're told that God struck him down with leprosy and he died soon after. But despite what had happened in his latter years, when King Uzziah died, there was a time of national mourning. And so it was in that year that his king died that we hear that Isaiah went to the temple. Maybe he went there to find some consolation, to pay, perhaps to pay his respects to Isaiah. But he got more than he bargained for. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The first thing that strikes Isaiah was the Lord's majesty. He was high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. He says, I saw the Lord. What an incredible statement that is. We could sit here and meditate just on those words, couldn't we? I saw the Lord. The word we translate Lord here is the word Adonai. The word is a, which is about the absolute sovereignty of God. The King of Kings. We might say, sort of a paraphrase of, of this verse, is that in the year that we lost our human king, I saw the real king. The King of Kings. He saw the King. He saw the Lord. This was a time of of, uh, uncertainty. A king dying in that time. There was all kinds of political machinations going on and there was never quite sure who was going to take on the throne. There were people sort of fighting it out. And so Isaiah would have been filled with that uncertainty. But he sees the king on his throne. He sees the Lord on his throne. In some senses, to know that the Lord is king, that the Lord is on his throne, is greatly comforting, isn't it? There's no reason to panic when we know that God is on the throne. Sometimes we see things in our world and we we feel that he's out of control and we have to come back. The Lord is on the throne. It may have looked to Isaiah if everything was falling apart, but the sovereign one was on the throne. His kingship was infinitely superior to that of Uzziah or anyone else. In the midst of this chaotic time for Isaiah, God makes a personal appearance and Isaiah sees him sitting upon a throne. And he sees his majesty, his glory and his power. As he sees this vision, as he sees the Lord upon the throne, there are three things that this tells him. One is that God is seated on the throne, the throne as king and judge. He says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, and the train filled the temple. No doubt some of us would have watched the wedding, and some of us would have been interested in the dress, 
and would have seen the train that went back seemingly miles. Now try to picture what Isaiah saw. The train of God filled every part of the temple. It filled the whole place, everywhere. In the ancient world, the king's robes would say something about him. And Isaiah is overwhelmed with everything he sees. He looks up, way up, and he sees the sovereign Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted as king king and judge. Some of us can remember a time when uh, we used to preach in pulpits, high and exalted. Six Six foot above contradiction, we used to say. Because being high up, it notes something, it says something. And Isaiah sees the Lord enthroned on high as king and judge. He then learns something else as he describes what he saw. He says, Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. From what we understand, these, uh, these seraphim, these uh, seraphs, these angels, were a group of angels whose particular personal calling was to attend to God. They were guardians, if you like, of the holiness of God, which is why they have six wings. They have two, which they use to fly. But we're told that they have two, which cover their feet. We might uh, cast our minds back to uh, the story of Moses at the burning bush. And the voice comes from the bush that says to Moses, take your sandals off, because you stand on holy ground. This was holy ground, because God was there. So whenever the seraphim landed, it was a place that was so sacred that they covered their feet because it was holy ground. And it says they have two wings that cover their face. That's a bit easier to understand. If you're flying around in the holy of holies before in the presence of Almighty God, they're going to be exposed to his glory. Think again of Moses. God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to go and lead my people. And Moses says, I'm not going to do it alone. Who's going to go with me? And God says, my presence will go with you. I'll go with you. And Moses says, and I'm paraphrasing here, Moses says, that's a nice promise, God, but I need you to show me yourself. I need to see it. And so God says, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. No creature could stand, withstand the sight of Almighty God. What happens is that God in his grace says, well, what will you do? If you hide in the rock, as I pass by, you can just see me. You see the back of me. I think that's why the angels have their faces covered. Because they couldn't exist in the presence, in the full display of the glory of God, of the holiness of God. But the most incredible thing about these angels is not their appearance, but their message and what they cry out. And they were calling to one another, 
They had a song that was going back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Why say it in triplicate? Whenever we try to emphasize something in English, we'll, we'll sort of underline it or, or put it in capital letters or, or uh, bold print. When Hebrews wanted to uh, emphasize the importance of something, they would do it by repetition. So God is not holy. God is holy, holy, holy. They're emphasizing the holiness of God. It's interesting that the the commentators tell us that this is the only attribute of God that is repeated three times. Never in the Bible does it say that God is love, love, love. Or light, light, light. Or truth, truth, truth. Just holy, holy, holy. To me, to be holy means to be different, to be separate. The very godness of God, if that makes sense. The very godness of God means that he is separate from all that is not God. There is an infinite qualitative difference between creator and creature. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Teach us to pray. Jesus answered by saying, Here's how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy. Of their song, the whole earth is full of his glory. This is lesson number three. This is something else that Isaiah learns. The whole earth is full of, full of his glory. Isaiah's vision was of the heavenly throne. But he says, the whole earth It's full of his glory. God is high and exalted. God is holy, but God is here. This is difficult for us to understand. How can he be there and here? But he is. Theologians talk about it in terms of his transcendence and his imminence. He is both transcendent and imminent. He is separate from us, but he is right here with us. He is to be feared, but he is our friend. It's part of the wonder and mystery. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, I saw him in his majesty, in his holiness, but also in his imminence. But then he experiences something else. What is Isaiah's reaction when he comes face to face with God's majesty. Verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. This is not just a sigh of despair, although I think there is some despair there. It's far more than that. In the Old Testament prophets, when they gave prophetic announcements, they would often use words either blessed or woe. If it was a negative one, it would be woe, woe to whoever. It was an announcement of doom. Jeremiah did it, Ezekiel does it, and Jesus does it, doesn't he? In Matthew 24, when he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. 
And here is Isaiah using this language of doom for himself. There are some senses in which Isaiah is the best in the land. He is recognized as a great servant of God. But when he sees the holiness of God, the only thing he sees is his unholiness. He doesn't see his goodness. He sees his unholiness. I am ruined. Which means I'm lost. I'm destroyed. I'm devastated. He was a man whom everybody else honoured, would have patted him on the back. He was a paragon of virtue. He was the best of men. He was a spiritual leader, the voice of God to them, an obedient saint, a servant of the Lord. But with one glimpse of God's holiness, he sees himself as a wretch. John Calvin once said, Men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have confronted themselves with the majesty of God. Like all of us, as long as Isaiah could compare himself with other mortals, he was able to have a good opinion of himself and his character. The instant he he measures himself by the ultimate standard, he is lost. Woe to me. The most important instrument of a prophet was his mouth, and Isaiah cries out, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. No one can stand in the presence of God without becoming profoundly and devastatingly aware of their own wretched sinfulness. In other words, if we don't understand the holiness of God, we can never understand our own sinfulness. Seeing a glimpse of God's holiness, Isaiah would never be the same again. But at the very moment that Isaiah owned his sin, there's that wonderful word, then. Then, one of the seraphs. Deliverance is set in motion at that exact moment that Isaiah recognizes his unholiness before God. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, God does not leave Isaiah devastated. He does not leave him destroyed. He does not leave him in the depths of his sin. He does something about it. And this hot coal was not taken from the altar of of incense, but from the brazen altar in the temple courtyard where the sacrifices were offered for seeing the deliverance of the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God, for us. Jesus laying down his life for us. Isaiah heard the praise of the seraphim and their thunderous song which shook the very foundations of the temple. But what did God hear? God heard the faint, fearful cry of a guilty man, broken and contrite. 
when God hears Isaiah, he sends the seraph to stop worshipping for a moment so that he could go and minister to this needy heart. Isaiah would later prophesy about the Messiah who would die on the cross so that we would know our sins forgiven. Our sins that we have to recognize and bring to God. Isaiah first saw the Lord's majesty, but then he experienced God's mercy. And finally, to make it easy for you, he heard the word of God sending him in mission. Majesty, mercy, mission. Easy. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Up to this point, Isaiah had seen the glory and majesty of God. He'd heard the song of the seraphim and felt the burning coal on his lips. Now he heard the voice of God. Suddenly the angels were silent and God spoke. By the way, did you notice whom shall I send and who will go for us? God is asking a question. Who will go for us? The Hebrew here is plural. And being sensitive to the voice of God, Isaiah surrenders to the call. The last thing we had was Isaiah declaring his lack of worthiness. Now he says, Lord, you need somebody, I'll go. Here am I, I'll go. Having been overwhelmed by the majesty and have experienced the forgiveness and mercy of God, he is ready to serve. He knew he was far from perfect and yet he surrenders to God, to God's mission and steps forward to volunteer for service. In the following verse, God says to him, go. You see, God knows who we are. He knows our fears and our failings, and yet he's willing for us just to have a go. The great uh, D.L. Moody said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Lord, if you want somebody to go, I'll go. Isaiah's experienced that incredible vision, that incredible moment in his life. Perhaps we need to hear. Maybe some of us just need to stand again in the presence of God. Maybe we need to be overwhelmed by his majesty and holiness. 
Maybe some of us just need to hear those words of forgiveness. See, God doesn't want us to be in his presence fearful and full of our sin. He wants us to hear the word of forgiveness. Some of us need to hear afresh that word. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And you need to say afresh, here I am, send me. Isaiah's vision of this amazing, indescribable, incredible God. Let's pray.